0: Good morning, Calvary Bible Church. Two weeks left in our series in the book of Exodus, today and next week. It's been rich though, has it not? Yeah. So two things happened in my life this week that make me so thankful to be able to turn to the Word of God and embolden my confidence that God is working in the world and that His Word is true. The first, um, many of you know my mom has been... Ill for the last several years. Monday morning, in her sleep, she peacefully entered glory and went to be with Jesus. And that is a deep sense of relief in in many ways for us as she had been uh, largely incapacitated by age over the last two to three years. And her going to glory uh, in her sleep on Monday morning uh, was both a a sense of rejoicing and a sadness, too, that came in the days that followed. Still, um, it reminded me this week in deep ways that um, lives matter and God is the Savior of our life. And um, what we experience here in this world and we invest in other people, my mom invested so many things into my life that I'm here today I know most um, earnestly is her prayers for me as her son. And, you know, for several years, we've all the brothers and my sister have sensed this loss of uh, (coughs) prayers for my mom not being able to do that, but um, she's with Jesus now. We rejoice in that. The other thing that happened this week is I spent three days in the mountains with 30 other staff members from six other churches in Boulder. And it was a beautiful experience of worshiping and praying together churches from different tribes than this tribe, but with the same mission of making Jesus known in the world in Boulder County. And that time was such a sweet fellowship together of being with other pastors and staff members, worshiping, praying, and thinking about how do we make Jesus known in Boulder today and I'll tell you it was really riveting and a great time of fellowship and today while we're here in this place there are people in other churches who are similarly worshiping praising God and uh, making the gospel known and I hope you'll pray for those other churches in our community uh, who do just that we're involved in a mission of God in this day and age 2019 we are walking with him and seeking to make him known in the world And the Bible is filled with people who in their day heard from God, listened to Him, sought to obey what He said, sometimes like us, insufficiently, and then kept coming back to the Lord and turning to Him. The book of Exodus in the Old Testament is one such account of God delivering His people from slavery and leading them on the journey to the promised land and all that He did in them. The book of Exodus contains 25% about the subject we're going to talk about this morning. One quarter, 11 chapters out of the 40, have to do with God's directions about building a tabernacle for Him to dwell in, in a special sense, and for the people of God to worship Him in. Fully 25% is very specific details on how this tabernacle will be constructed. And I want to take a little bit of time this morning to look at what it took to build it, what its purpose was for, and why both of those things have implications for us in 2019. Do you have your Bible? All right, let's open together to Exodus chapter 36. Exodus chapter 36. And when you get to Exodus 36... Turn the page to Exodus 35, which is really where I want to begin. (laughs) Exodus 35. In verse 4, we read that something happened in the hearts of the people of Israel. That when God said, I want to make a a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, where I will dwell and I will speak to you and the glory of God will dwell there in a special sense... His presence with his people is going to be in this tabernacle that they're going to build following very explicit instructions. In chapter 35, verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded in order that you might make this tabernacle. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a, what, generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, the text goes on, it's not on the screen, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twinned linen, goat hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, um, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing, fragrant incense, Onyx stones, stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastplate. And the book is filled with all these intricate descriptions of how the different pieces of the tabernacle are going to be constructed. But in order for it to happen, Moses has to say to the people of Israel, I want you to take a contribution. I want you to take a contribution from among all the people, whoever is of a generous heart. If you underline in your Bible, circle in your Bible, that's what I want you to underline a, a generous heart. This is similar to what happened 10 chapters earlier in chapter 25 when the Lord first began to introduce this. In chapter 25, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man, let's read the rest together, whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution for me. So it's somebody who has a generous heart and somebody whose heart moves him You'll take this contribution and you'll receive from them, chapter 25 says, gold, silver, special stones, skins, linen, thread. And I want you to bring anybody whose heart moves him to make this contribution. Verse 8 of chapter 25 says, Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. What God wants to do is to bring his presence in the camp of Israel. And in order for that to happen, they have to build this thing. And in order for them to build this thing, guess who's got to resource it? They're going to help resource it if their heart's generous. And if their heart moves within them to say, I want to be a part of this. Back to chapter 35 and verse 21 Um, And they came, everyone whose heart, look at the verbs, his heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and he brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting for all its service and for the holy garments, and they came, both men and women, men and women were doing this, and all who were of a willing heart brought brooches, earrings, signet. Armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Should we take an offering? Just start peeling off your earrings. You get the picture that they're all saying, I want to, and it's, it's very willing, right? Their hearts stirred, their, their spirit is moved within them, And they're of a willing heart to say, I want to give because I want this tabernacle to be built because I want God's presence to be among the camp of God's people. And you get this sense that the way in which this tabernacle is coming is the generous, willing contribution of all of the people of Israel as they come. One more, verse 29. And all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded Moses to be done, brought it as a a free will offering. Like there's no compulsion, there's no guilt, there's just this sense that God wants this done and I don't want to miss the opportunity to be a part of it. So my heart's moved, my heart's stirred, I have a willing spirit, I have a generous heart, and I'm willing to give this freely to the Lord. And everybody said? Okay. Should we talk about money a little bit? Oh, no, 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 no. I just want you to see that what was happening is that the hearers of people who have been brought out of bondage, they're wandering through the wilderness, God is meeting with them, and he says, I want to build a tabernacle where I can meet with you, And everybody says, take this, take this, let's make this happen. I want to be a part of this because I want God and his presence to be glorified in this camp where we are. And that's exactly what happened. Everybody brought this in a very willing kind of way. In fact, um, a spiritual leader's dream happens next. Look at verse 3 of chapter 36. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came. Each from the task that he was doing. And they said to Moses. Now these are the people doing the building. They come to Moses and say. Let's read the last line together. The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Stop bringing the offering. And everybody said, (laughs) We have too much. One more verse, it says similar. Verse 6, so Moses gave command and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing the material they had sufficient to do all the work and more. It's like, stop. And this, is, this happens again in the history of Israel. Building the temple with David people's hearts were so moved that they said, we, we have enough. That's the dream of every church, isn't it? Which one pastor said, um, trying to make, um, encourage people to give to some project they were having, he says, well, the good news is that all the money is here in the church. The bad news is it's still in your pockets. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Listen, we talk about resources that make some people nervous in fact I have a good pastoral friend who I've had the opportunity to mentor over the years and he just told me this week actually that um, he was giving a four week series on generosity and stewardship and on week two two families got up and walked out and I remember you know, doing three weeks some years ago and Somebody came up to me, really, three weeks on giving? We're a generous church. One of the ways we're generous, we let other people use our building. People come in and use the building all the time. And even people who are from different uh, religious faiths have used our building because they needed a facility. And I remember one time someone, not from a Christian faith, used our building and said, how do you get? all your people to pay their dues on time <laughs> to have a building like this. I said, oh, we don't have dues. We just tell people that as the Lord moves you, you should be generous. Why, why should you be generous? Why would you be generous? You might be generous if you were a slave And you've been set free. And you were given wealth as you left your bondage. And you just say, where did I get this? Let me tell you, their hearts were stirred. Their hearts were moved. They had a willing spirit. And they just wanted to give freely to the Lord. Who does that? Let me tell you. The person who does that is the person, first of all, who knows that everything he has comes from the Lord. That's the person who gives freely. The woman who knows, I only have this because the Lord has given me the opportunity to make my wealth. And what I have has been a gift from his grace. That's the person who can say freely, I would give generously. I know it comes from the Lord. Secondly, it's a person who knows I'm a steward of what I have, and it really isn't mine. All of it is the Lord's. We really try to teach that when we, are, we receive things, we're the stewards of it, but I think we'll give an account for what we do with what wealth we have. It really came from the Lord. It belongs to him, and we're a steward of it. And the last thing a generous heart knows is that God provides the resources for any project he's going to do through the people who know and love him. So how's this tabernacle in the wilderness going to get built? God, I suppose, could have just gone boom and created it. But instead, when God works a work among his people, he stirs the hearts of his people to release the resources that he has given to them and they know all that I have comes from God and I'm simply a steward of it and God is going to use my resources to do his work in the world. And so he stirs up the hearts of his people to be generous to give it so that God can continue to do his work. That's what's going on in the heart of a person who says, I can freely do this. And if I give generous with God, I know he's not going to rip me off. He's not going to gyp me. In fact, if I give generously to him, I actually become a conduit through which God may very well entrust more, which is why Jesus has given it shall be given unto you. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you're a person who can let the wealth and riches and things go through you easily, I think you're the kind of person that God can trust to give more. Anyway, God has a mission to do this thing in the wilderness, and he does it through his people who suddenly have a heart to say, I know I once was here, and now I'm here, and that I'm here is God's doing, and that I have, this gold and silver, is God's doing. And so if God wants a temple, I'm going to give it to him. Okay, anybody nervous? This is just what it means to be long to God, to love Him, and to know your place before Him. Now, parenthetically, let me say, I believe the future for this church has a lot of things ahead for which I'm praying our hearts are stirred to do really big, generous things. We've been generous. We have a campus 15 miles east of us And that came from the generosity of this congregation that said, let's go to Erie. Some of you know we're thinking about go three. And we're thinking about a third campus where there is not now a church. And in order for that to occur, I think we're going to have to be a people who sense God leading us there. And then say, okay, if God wants that to happen there where his presence could be known in a new place... Some of our hearts are going to be stirred to such a way that we say, okay, Lord, here it is. I want to give it to you that your name would be worshipped in that place. The purpose of the tabernacle was that God would be known and worshipped among his people and so they said, we want God with us. And they, they did it. It's a beautiful picture. It has a New Testament equivalent, by the way. People who know God are generous. Let's just take a moment. Um, and, and look at a New Testament passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul was talking to the Corinthians, and he was encouraging the Corinthians to give in a generous kind of way, and he said this to them. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, they were afflicted. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, I, I can testify beyond their means, of their own accord. Of their own accord. What does that mean? M- means voluntarily. No guilt, no compulsions. Like of their own accord they wanted to do this. In fact, verse 4 says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief um, of the saints. This was an offering to to resource the poor saints in Jerusalem and Macedonia joined in. And not this, they, more than we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So the first part of giving is I give myself to the Lord and I know I belong to him and therefore all my resources are from him and for him so we want to be a part of it. They're actually saying a New Testament equivalent, please let me give. Let's say that out loud together. Please let me give. Okay, there's something foreign about that to us, but they're saying, please, can we give? One last verse from this uh, chapter 9, 2 Corinthians. The point is this. this. is Paul making his point. The very point is this. Whoever sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give Here's the underscore. And I know maybe you're thinking, well, Tom's putting the pressure on now. Let let me just read it to you. The point is this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for here's where it is in the Bible. God loves a a cheerful giver. Someone who says, I I know. I want to give. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things... In all times, you may abound in every good work. Everything God calls you to do, if you trust him and you give generously and you think about God and you just say, everything I have is for God, he's going to make all grace abound to you. It's like God will give you the grace to be generous. There are lots of hurdles to becoming a generous person. We live in a consumer, consumptive world. And the distinctive Christian value of those who know God, love God, follow Christ, is we're generous, not under compulsion. It's like my life, I I can let it go because I know where it came from and he has more. I trust him. And if he needs it, boom, I like to give it. And if I need it, do you think I will be hungry? Do you think I will go wanting No, if God wants to move his resources from Macedonia to Jerusalem, as here, or he wants to move it from the tent of one of the tribes of Israel to the tabernacle for it to be built, he's not going to let that generous gift go missing, wanting, or forget the giver. Okay, this is how God brought it together. I wanted to take the opportunity to to think about this and you pray about that um, for what we'll look at in a few moments. Now, it wasn't only money, resources, gold, silver, linens, goatskins that were given for the building of the tabernacle and all its uh, fine things. It wasn't resources of wealth only. It was also skill. That God called upon the people of Israel to use their skills to do something for the building of the tabernacle. And the word went out, if you're a craftsman and you know how to do, uh, make these things, uh, you come and use your skills to build the tabernacle. And so in Chapter 35, verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord commanded. So the Lord had commanded all these fine details of how the tabernacle will be constructed. And if you're a craftsman, come on. Yeah, I don't have gold. Do you have skills? Yeah. Bring your skills. And they came together and they made the tabernacle, its tent, its covering. And chapter 35 describes all the different things they made. And then in chapter 36, verse 1 says, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put a skill and everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. Now I want you to see that it's, it's this other set that's part of what God's going to do. He uses people with certain skills. They have a special set of skills for this. And God calls them and says, I want you to come do it. But I want you to notice that there's, uh, there's also this part for the skilled person too their heart stirs them to say, I want to use my skills for God. There are a lot of people who are using their skills for their own advancement and for the career and for whatever. And no no idea that the skills that God has given and the intelligence that God has put in our minds is possibly by God for God's glory. And we just want to say to you, if you're here and you, you work in town in some field, in, in Boulder County or Denver, I want you to think about everything that's been entrusted to you in your intellect, in your, the way you think about life, and your good skills at work, whether it's in computer or finance or education or art or whatever God has gifted you to do really well. Who gave you that? Yeah, I want you to think that when you go to work tomorrow you're you you' you're called to glorify God in your job and it's a beautiful thing that you have a job and your your colleagues may not be on mission with God but you are in your business why because God gave you the skills and you can work in that place as God's chosen person in your place of work in this case, God gave his skills and his intellect and wisdom and knowledge to all of these craftsmen in order for them to do the work there. I'm so thankful for the people who use their skills to do the work of God today at Calvary. We have people who are really great at finance, and they use their financial skills to coach, guide the church, to help us do things in a way that gave us accreditation with the evangelical ECFA. Which name I forget, but like we have good standing, it'll come to me. Um, we have people who helped us last year get together and think about the governance of Calvary Bible Church and helped us rewrite our constitution. Most of us don't do that every day, and we had people who used their skill to do that here. This week we had a person roll into Calvary, and she was an artist with a camera. and She took pictures of, of all the staff and made us look much better. I mean, the, the, she just said, I want to use this for God. We have people who use their skills up on the children's floor and with students and around the building. And somebody says, I, I'm good at plumbing and have helped us here and with our heating. And, you know, your skills should be thought of as stewardships from God. And we all ought to ask ourselves, how can we use our skills? to advance the work of God today, 2019, and what God wants to do in the world. And we right now have people who are planning, using their skills, really good planning for what's going to happen in the future of Calvary, perhaps with another campus. I'm so thankful that God gives skills to do His work because he, He has to do His work with people who are willing to help. And so that's exactly what's happening. Now let's think for a moment. We thought about how does the tabernacle come into being God stirs the hearts he provides the skill to make it happen but let's think a moment um, secondly about the purpose of the tabernacle the purpose of the tabernacle is described clearly in chapter 40 and there the purpose is that God would meet with his people chapter 40 verse 34 says this then the cloud covered the tent of meeting Now we're at the end of the book. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the people would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they didn't set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and the fire by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So you know that the pillar of cloud and of fire had led them out of Egypt and now it's descending on the tabernacle and they would stay in the camp that they were whenever the glory of the Lord was on the tabernacle. One illustration of the tabernacle has it looking something like this. That out in the wilderness, it it was like that with all of Israel camped around it. And when the glory of the Lord descended on the tabernacle, they stayed put. But if God got up and started moving, they would pack up, they would pack all that up and move it out. The point was, this was the the location of worship for the people of Israel. And the glory of the Lord was there, he spoke to Moses there, and... um, This is where Israel worshiped as they traveled until they came into the promised land. And then we learn in Chronicles that they ministered in the tabernacle day after day after day until Solomon built the temple. And the temple was a permanent place of worship for Israel in Jerusalem. But this was mobile church for Israel in the wilderness. The presence of God in the midst of his people is the most important theme, perhaps, in all the book of Exodus. And God explicitly said, I will come and I will meet with you. I want you to think of the flow of the Bible. Garden of Eden, God with Adam and Eve, meeting with them, walking with them in the cool of the day they have communion together what happened they sinned god sent them out of the garden they're not walking with god in the cool of the day because of their sin sin happens affects the world the flood happens God raises up in Genesis chapter 12 a covenant to, Mo, to Abraham and says, I want to be with you. And to Abraham, he says, he, God draws near to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you, and through you I'm going to bless the whole world. Abraham has sons and sons and sons, and Joseph leads Israel to Egypt. They move to Egypt. They're in Egypt They're in slavery, and God says, I want to be with you, and he comes down to be with them. I see you. I hear you. I know your grief, and God comes to be with Israel in Egypt. And then through Moses, he leads them out, and then he creates this tabernacle, and they worship in the tabernacle, and then they get to Jerusalem in the Promised Land, and Solomon builds a temple and this is sort of the flow of God being with Adam and Eve and communing and then reestablishing his communion with his people progressively, progressively, progressively till the temple is in Jerusalem. And then what happens? Then Jesus comes on the scene. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read, and the word became flesh and dwelt the word tented among us and we have seen his glory think of the shekinah glory over the tabernacle we have seen his glory glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and so from genesis all the way to the new testament jesus comes and he is the glory of god there and then in John chapter 14, Jesus, talking to his disciples and telling them that he's going to go away, says to them, but I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither knows him or sees him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be, everybody, in you. And you see this progressive flow of God moving toward his people, culminating in Jesus, the very glorious and truth of God coming in the world in flesh, and then saying, I want to be in you, and I'm going to put my spirit within you, and the glory of God is going to come to rest in you. Aren't you glad you live in 2019? You don't have to worship in a tent that moves around. You have the very presence of the glory of God in the indwelling Holy Spirit living inside of you. Charles Spurgeon said, The substance far excels the shadow, for in the wilderness the Lord only dwelt in the abode of man, but now his approach to us is closer, for he dwells in the flesh of man. He actually resides within the soul of every person who trusts in him. The glory of God has come near, and and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us today. So that 1 Corinthians 3.16, which we looked at last week, just by reminder, says this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and his spirit dwells in you? Dwells in you. So we're worshiping people, but we don't have to be in here to worship. We don't have to be in a tabernacle or a tent. You can worship wherever you are because God is with you. He indwells you. Which is why Peter says in uh, 1 Peter, our last verse for this morning, As you come to Jesus, a a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, able to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's as if he lives in you. And today our life is a life of worship, of communing with him, meeting with him, thinking about him. And um, the tabernacle is just a, a shadow. You have the substance. If you know Jesus, you have the spirit of God in you. So that simply begs a couple of questions for us as we think about this. Um, What do we worship? Isn't it ironic that this little conversation about wealth and using wealth for the glory of God, that actually becomes one of the idols of our life if we're not careful. We're the people who worship God and want to say of our things, God, do you need this? Here it is. Not God... I need this. He said, "No, our, our things are for God and His glory. We're, we're people of worship, because He lives in us, and He saved us. And we could easily say the very same things that Israel could say, "I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was in slavery, but now I'm free." And we would never say, excuse me, we would never say, "I, I once was in captivity, but now I'm free." We just say, Lord, here I am. Use me. You with me? Any Anything need to tune up a little bit in our thoughts about things and treasures and glory of God? I'd like us to pray that God would help us. If you'd like to ask questions, I'm here afterwards. Let's stand together. You're worthy of worship. God of glory, God of salvation, God who brings freedom, you are worthy of worship. You're worthy of all, we boldly say. And so we pray that our lives will be for your glory. They will be for the worship of the one true God. Our lives will be to use our skills and resources for every purpose that you call us to. Let it be in our soul a willing response to simply say to you, Lord, here's my life. Maybe just take a moment. Can you say to God today, Lord, here's my life? Can you say to God, Lord, I mean to think of my resources? as yours. And say Lord here's, here's my treasure. Here's my talents. Father nothing higher to give ourselves to than you and your glory. Show us how we can do that. We willingly say to you who is like the Lord? Reigns above. To you be glory in the church and in our life. Now and forevermore we pray. Amen. Okay, in a moment we'll be dismissed. If you'd like to pray with someone, uh, there's a prayer team here and through this door. The cafe is open. Seems right that we should sing uh, the doxology before we leave today. How would that be? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.